0: Well, good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, I've missed you guys. I've been gone for the last two weeks preaching at some of the other campuses, but my heart has been here with all of you here today. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, I'm the uh, lead pastor here at our Riverdale location. We are in our series, The Second Week of Jonah. I wanted to ask you guys a weird question. How many of you have ever been pulled over by the police? Right? A lot of us. Most of us, probably right. Did you ever find yourself in that moment, as the you know, as the cop was kind of you're looking in the rearview mirror or the side mirror, and he's coming, and you're praying. You're like, Lord, just let him just give me a warning this time, right? Lord, don't don't let me be guilty. Uh, give me a break, Lord, and I, I will worship you and serve you so much better, and I will follow the rules, and I will I won't speed anymore. I'll stop at stop signs. I'll even drive on the si- right side of the road and use a blinker, you know, if that's what you want me to do, Lord. If you, maybe, or maybe some of you, you don't have to raise your hand, maybe some of you were praying, Lord, please don't let me go to jail tonight. <laughs> please, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll start following you again. I, I, I've had that. I'll, I'll just be honest. I've prayed that prayer. Uh, but today we're talking about Jonah's prayer in, in chapter 2 of Jonah. He hits basically rock bottom. Literally, he's down at the bottom of the ocean. If you remember last week, the sailors had thrown Jonah overboard and he's sinking in the water. And it's a very low moment in his life. And and so for you and me, uh, how many of us pray the strongest prayers we've ever prayed during a trial or a storm or a tough time in our life? I think Most of us would probably admit that that's when we've probably prayed the hardest or we've prayed the most. And so then, if that's the case, is it okay that God sends storms sometimes to discipline us or to bring us back or to correct us? If that's what it takes to get us to finally look up, then... God should certainly be able to do that. And as we read last week, God sent a storm. It wasn't just some naturally caused storm. God sends a storm after Jonah. The book of Jonah, if many of you have heard it or know it, it was a prophet who was probably the world's most terrible missionary because he had this job to go speak a word from the Lord to this nation uh, other than Israel, and he just wouldn't do it. He was so stubborn, he wouldn't do it. He ran away from God. So God sends a storm after him, Um, and so the sailors, to stop the storm, throw him overboard into the water, and then we left off with him being swallowed by a fish. And that's probably the most famous part about the book of Jonah, is this giant fish, right? And, And so inside the fish, everybody wonders, what was Jonah doing in that fish? What, did, he, he, did he have a little lantern like some of the cartoons or veggie tales, you know, and he's, maybe he was writing this letter inside the belly of the fish. Maybe he was, uh, you know, writing his will. I, maybe he was doing a lot of different things. Uh, maybe he didn't even know he was in the belly of a fish because he thought he was almost about to, to die. I could only imagine, and the the scripture doesn't tell us uh, more than that, but what we do find out is in in chapter 2, he's praying a prayer. And so today, as you turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to Jonah chapter 2, we're going to look at, from his prayer, how we ought to pray when we are at rock bottom. As I said, sometimes God allows or causes us to be at rock bottom and that's the time that we finally will look up. Um, Oftentimes um, I deal with a lot of people in addiction and recovery and we do ministry um, to help people uh, get clean and sober and have victory in that area and I've heard it said that you know everybody has a different bottom in their life you know maybe you haven't had it as rough as some people or had uh, consequences or discipline as much as some people. But everybody has a certain bottom in their life where they feel like they've hit an all-time low. And the reality is, is you don't have to go lower than that. You can put down the shovel. It's up to you to quit digging the hole. Your bottom is what you decide. When you'll turn around and say, okay, God, this is as low as I want to go, I want to come back to you. You don't have to sand a storm or sea monsters after me. I'm just going to do it because I know that that's right. And so, as we, again, have talked about uh, Jonah, the last verse of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. Three days and three nights, Jonah had this time to figure out what he had done wrong. To really contemplate, how, how have I... Made these mistakes and these bad decisions and and how did I get to where I'm at? Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're in a situation in your life where like you're wondering, how did I get to where I am right now? And you can take inventory. Maybe you go back and look at your life and you say, Well, I I remember it didn't just happen. You know, falling away from God and rebellion doesn't just happen one day, but it's this process. And it slowly happens by decision after decision after decision. And finally, you find yourself so far from God, and you weren't planning on being there, but because of your sin and your, your natural bent to go your own way instead of God's way, you find yourself at a place like maybe where Jonah's at. But we find out from Jonah that God is a merciful, compassionate, slow to anger He's abounding in steadfast love. He is a good father. And so Jonah already knows the Lord, and all he has to do is remember how good God is. And so we're going to look at three of the things that Jonah does as he's praying in the whale or the fish, as he's at rock bottom in his life. We're going to start from the the very first verse, and we're going to look at these three A's, This is something that preachers do. They like to have three points that start with the same letter so that you can remember it. But you still probably won't remember it. But I hope what you take away is not my words or some quippy quotes that we come up with. But that you remember the Lord's words. And I think it's interesting. You know, Jonah's so famous for this fairy tale that many people think that it is. I believe it's true history. The Bible says that it literally happened. I believe that God is a God of miracles. If he created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, he certainly has sovereignty over his creation, like the storms and the waves and even the great fish. And if he wants to use them for his glory and to bring back his people, he will do so. And I'm going to tell you why I think that that's comforting. But before we get to that, We're going to look at these three A's of praying at rock bottom. And the first one then is to admit the trouble that you're in. First, you have to get out of denial and move into reality and admit, okay, I've caused some chaos in my life. I've caused some unmanageability from my own decisions and my own choices. And I want to let you know, God, out of humility, that I don't think it's just unfair circumstances that happened to me. But really, it's some of my decisions that got me here. Just like Jonah, the same thing. His decision to run from God, to not do the things that he called him to do, but to go his own way that was more comfortable, um, is what got him in this position and for us too. Let's look at what Jonah says. Chapter 2, verses one Three We're going to pick this apart, and I'm going to kind of go out of order in some of these because we're going to pick apart how he admits the trouble that he's in. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. I called to you from the land of the dead. I sank beneath the waves. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. So he's realizing at this point that he's, he's this is probably before he was in the fish, when he was sinking down into the water, he's admitting, I cried out to you in trouble, I, I called you from the land of the dead, he thought he was basically done for. He thought he was as good as dead, he thought he was going to the place where all spirits go when they die, which is Sheol, the grave. Right now there's a great, spiritual realm and there's a chasm between heaven and hell and he thought he was going to this place the land of the dead he says I sank beneath the waves and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains he must have been caught up in some some moss or some some roots some seaweed down there and he had realized okay Lord I cried out to you um, when I was at my very lowest he's admitting that this is his fault but then he goes on to say to God in his prayer you threw me into the ocean's depth and buried beneath your wildly storm stormy waves then i said oh lord you have driven me from your presence and so there's something interesting going on here he's realizing his accountability the accountability of man and the sovereignty of god so we make choices and we have decisions in this life but also god who is a father to us, those who believe and trust in him. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. For Jonah, he was an Israelite. He was a follower of God. And, and so he's admitting that God has also caused a lot of this stuff. God has, is the one who sent the storm, who has caused him to be thrown into the ocean. And ultimately, he feels far from God. He's been driven from God's presence. And ultimately, this was God's choice and so this is kind of one of the, the dilemmas when trying to understand our, our accountability versus God's sovereignty is that they intertwine and they work together. Uh, not everything that happens in our life is something exactly that we brought on us, but that God also causes as a consequence. I think about, um, you know, my son. My son... Uh, who's six months old now. He's just learning to start to crawl a little bit. He's scooting along the ground, and we're in the living room hanging out, and we haven't quite child-proofed it yet. And we've got kind of like a, some sharp corners, you know, a, a tile on the fireplace. We've got wrought iron, you know, end tables. You know, a little bit further than that, he could, you know, there's some stairs that he could fall down, right? And, and as, he's, as he's getting into this stage of life that is probably the most dreadful, other than the teenage years. (laughs) Um, As he's getting into this stage of life that who knows how long it's going to last, terrible twos and threes or whatever, but the crawling stage and him being able to now be a little bit independent. Before I was controlling everything he was doing, now he's got a little bit of will that he can go and and crawl around and (laughs) And But what I find myself having to do every couple of minutes as, as we're sitting in the living room or working or hanging out or talking and letting him play on the ground is that I keep having to reach down and grab him and pull him away from the sharp objects. And I keep having to redirect him sometimes and, and place him somewhere else away from uh, what's going to hurt him. Sometimes I might let him uh, accidentally get a little bit hurt, not a lot of hurt. I'm not going to let him stick his fingers into the... Uh, the electrical socket yet, but, but I, I have to continue to redirect him, and I am, in a sense, sovereignly controlling him. I'm sovereignly redirecting his life. I'm, I'm intervening here, and that's what we see in the story of God with his people, is that he's not just some God who wound everything up and said, okay, let's see how this all plays out but he's, he's, he's intervening in human history time and time and time again for the people that he loves, like a good father would do in his child's life so that they don't ultimately end in, in death and, and separation from him physically or eternally. And so in, in Proverbs Three, I think, would explain some of what Jonah is going through right now as he's sitting in the belly of the fish. He's being disciplined by his father. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For a Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. A good father doesn't just lead and love in kindness alone, but a good father will also lead in justice, in, in teaching lessons of discipline, in correction, in training, and sometimes that training is uncomfortable. Sometimes we push back against being corrected, especially we live in this society nowadays where nobody likes to be told that they're wrong or that there's some kind of absolute truth out there to follow. That's rude nowadays, it's called arrogant. It's, it's not humble to say that there's a right and wrong, and you shouldn't do this or that, and God's word says this or that, which is a lie from the devil, and it is a lie try, the world is trying to get at us to try to get us to not understand the, the morality of God, the will of God, and certainly how God wants us to live how he wants his children to act and and represent him here in the world. A loving father corrects his children. When you love people, you don't just let them continue on sometimes in their ignorance, but you got to teach them. And sometimes in pride, uh, you know, people don't want to be taught things, and they push back against it. But in Jonah's situation, he's brought to this place of, okay, now I'm at rock bottom, I have nowhere to go, I, I should probably listen now. <laughs> I just hope that that's not what happens to all of us, is that we don't have to hit rock bottom to finally listen to God. I want you to be encouraged when God, though, comes into your life and sends a storm, and he doesn't let you go beyond that deep place of, 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 of feeling like you've been pushed out of God's presence or or in a place where you're in discipline like Jonah is. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, he quotes, in the New Testament, he quotes this this proverb, Hebrews chapter 12, and he goes on to talk about how um, if, if, if you're not experiencing discipline from God, then you might not be a child of God. It says... If you don't experience discipline from the Father, then you're an illegitimate son and not really a son or a child at all. And so one thing that comforts me, even though that discipline uh, doesn't feel good in the moment, as the writer of Hebrews says, I know that he's watching after me. I know that he's caring for me. I know that he's going to redirect me. I know that he's going to send some things as a reminder because ultimately I can't follow God on my own. In my own will and desire I won't follow him. And so I need him to intervene and to correct me. But I know when he does that he loves me. And it's for my good. And, and the, ver- the, the portion of that scripture ends in Hebrews 12. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who who have been trained by it. Don't neglect or don't push away or shy away from the discipline of God. If you're going through something in your life right now, a season where you feel like God is correcting you, he's saying, I want you to come back. That thing that you're doing in your life, you need to knock that off. Because life is, you're gonna have natural consequences, but you're gonna also have supernatural consequences. That's some of my prayers to the Lord every day. I'm like, Lord, I gotta get this stuff up and out of me. I know that you know all the things, all the all the bad thoughts and evil desires that I have in me, and I want you to just rid that of me. Anything that's not honoring you, God, please help me to get rid of it in my life because. Although I know that you love me when you discipline me, and that's encouraging, I'd rather just have some peace. (laughs) I'd rather not have to go through trial and error the rest of my life to become a faithful follower of God. And that's really what he's talking about. Eventually, you can get to this place of peace where you know that God is trying to, to work on you and grow you. You don't always have to rebel against him, but you can go and run Toward him. So that's the first part about it is admit the trouble that you are in and recognize God's part in it as well. And the second part then is to affirm who God is or to affirm who God still is. Jonah moves on from his prayer in humility and he starts to praise. Now he starts to praise God in Jonah 2 verses 2 and 6. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and, Lord, you heard me. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. If you remember our key verse in chapter 4, verse 2, how it said that the reason why Jonah didn't go God's way is because he hated this nation, Nineveh. And he said, if I went to go preach to them and share this message, I knew that you were a, a compassionate God, a merciful God, slow to get angry, and, and would relent from destroying people because you want people to come to repentance and knowledge and, and know the truth. And he knows that about God. That was part of the reason why he didn't want to do that was because he didn't want those people to be saved. We're going to deal with that in, in weeks three and four. Why he was such a bad prophet. He wasn't a false prophet. He was just a bad one. Because he wouldn't do the Lord's will. But he recognizes the goodness of the Lord. He recognizes that God is a God who wants to save. Who will not just let him go. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 68, 19 through 20. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior for each day. He carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who saves the sovereign Lord rescues us from death. You see, God is a good God who watches out for us. He's not just uh, some God who, who wants nothing to do with us or is distant, but he, he delights in saving his people. And he does it all even when we choose the path of, of ruin and rebellion. When we try to run from him and go our own way, he still comes after us to save us to finally pick us up and and carry us in his arms and then in Jonah verse 9 the last half of it it says salvation belongs to the Lord God is a God who saves and Jonah knows it he's praising him for that he's praising him for being a God who's so merciful that he's not going to allow him to go too far have you experienced that in your own life that God rescued you from deep sin in your life or God has rescued you from making the wrong choices that were going to lead you away from him do you believe that God is in control of your salvation you see you and I can do nothing about it salvation belongs to the Lord it does not belong to you and me we 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 have no power in whether God is going to save us or not It's by his sovereign will and his his choice of love to come and find us and to rescue us from being drowned in the middle of the ocean. Many religions out there, every other religion in the entire world other than Christianity believes that you've got to follow this step-by-step process to make God rescue you, to make God like you, to be on his good side. Or to do more good than you've done bad, which is probably impossible. And many other religions other than Christianity believe that salvation is partly man's decision and his idea and his plan and it's in his power. But this tells us, this is one of the most important verses in all of Jonah, I believe, is that salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. Because God is a God who saves. We should affirm who God is in our prayers And then thirdly then, after you understand the salvation of the Lord, you've admitted your sin and your fault, then the best thing to do is if you're going to repent, the Bible says to repent and believe, the best thing for you and I to do is to turn from our sin and now ask, what do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to live? What is your plan for me? Did you save me so that I could just live however I want the rest of my life, or do you have a call on my life? And as you know the story of Jonah, he's got a call on his life to go preach God's word and to share his message, but he rebelled against that. And many of you, I would probably say, maybe have in one way or another been called by the Lord to do something, to share something, and maybe you neglected to do so. And then you wonder, like, am I I living in God's will? Uh, Am I being distracted by the world and my own desires, my own comfort? Because sometimes it's uncomfortable to share God's message message with people like Jonah. But he decides to now give in, (laughs) surrender, to submit. And sometimes God's got to get us to tap out before we'll actually go his way. Because we're so... Um, prideful and and have our own desires that finally we've got to surrender and submit to the to the will of the lord and so he goes on in verses seven through nine as my life was slipping away i remembered the lord and my earnest prayer went out from you in your holy temple those who worship false gods turn their backs on all god's mercies but i will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and i will fulfill all my vows For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Again, he quotes that verse that I had shared with you. He realizes that God is so good, he is worth giving my life to. Surrendering to him and putting aside all my passions and desires and to find out what he wants me to do. We can't get this wrong. It seems like he's got the, the equation right. He's got, the, he's got the, the steps right in the salvation plan. It has to be admitting our faults, the sin that we've, we've done against God and to other people. It's, it's affirming that God is the only one that can save me. And it's by him and him alone through the Lord and through the Lord alone can I be saved from my sin And then finally, it's then, how do you want me to live? That is the steps of true repentance and faith. He says, I'm going to serve you now. I'm going to offer sacrifices to you. I'm going to fulfill all my vows and promises to you. I'm going to earnestly, it says, earnest prayer went out to you. Earnest prayer and earnest service to God does not come from the burden of trying to be right with him. It comes from gratitude of knowing that I'm already right with him by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to get this right, even in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, 8-10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then it goes on. For we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so we've got to get this right god does want us to do good works but not before he's saved us and already given us a place of eternal life in heaven that nothing or no one can separate us from but god does call us to go share his glory with the rest of the world to go share what he's done in our lives, to live for him, and to do his will, to join his team, and to fight for him. Another prophet, probably a 100 years or so, different from Jonah, but in the same area, prophet to Israel, Isaiah. He comes to this point in his life, uh, he gets a vision from God, and he sees the throne room of God, and he sees... The temple filled with smoke and, and the glory of God is all around him and he sees the angels and and he's, he's, he drops to his knees and he knows that the glory of God reveals how sinful of a man he is. And it says, then I said it's all over, I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the lord of heaven's armies, the one of Then one of the seraphim, an angel, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. I love how he Has that same order of what's going on in Jonah chapter 2. Beloved, I see the gospel on almost every page of the Bible, even in the book of Jonah. As we thought it was about a giant fish, it's really about a giant God, a big God who loves to save and he loves to call us to his purpose. He loves to change us from the inside out and take us, people that were as good as dead that can go and proclaim life to the nations and the people around us. Now, not all of us are going to be missionaries in some other foreign country like Jonah was called to do. But many of us are missionaries right here in our, in our, our local battlefield. In this area of influence that God has given you, maybe it's at work work. Maybe it's at home with family members. Maybe it's with a circle of friends, a people that you do hobbies with. Maybe your kids, you know, play sports, and you're very involved, and you know a lot of the parents. And, and I want you to ask yourself, like, does God, is God desiring for you to be sent to share with people that don't know him? Has he called you to do that? Like Isaiah He says, you know what? The the glory of God reveals to me kind of how selfish I am, how sinful I am. But he says, here I am. Send me. I will go. Now that I know that I can be cleansed, because you can see that that coal. He says, I'm a man of filthy lips and unclean lips. And then God provides the coal and touches his lips to cleanse him. This is talking about Christ himself. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ coming to forgive men and women, boys and girls of their sins over all the earth. And the question is, has God done that to you? And if so, will you go share his forgiveness plan with other people around you? After Jonah's prayer... The story ends with the last verse, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I'm sure the fish was so disgusted with this hypocrite, he just said, blah, get out. Get out of here. You don't know how to follow God. (laughs) It's interesting, if I think about it, you know, in, in the first verse we looked at, it says, the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And then this next verse at the end of this chapter says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it had vomited him out. It seems that the fish is more obedient than Jonah himself, because every time God spoke to the fish, the fish did what the Lord said to do. Are you going to be the fish, or are you going to be Jonah today? That's my question for you. What part of your life do you need to surrender to God's will today? Maybe it's the entire thing. Maybe you don't know the goodness of God and his mercy and his kindness and his love that he sent in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and accepted his rescue plan for you. I would encourage you not to leave this room today without doing that or without going to bed tonight, without seriously considering getting on your knees like Jonah did And praying to the Lord, admitting your sins to him, affirming who God is, and that he is a God who wants to save you, and then finally aligning with his will and his plan for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there's so much to the word of God, the gospel illuminated on almost every single page, of the Bible, to remind us how good you are, how much we fall short, to, to align our lives, to redirect us. God, thank you for being a good father in our lives that sometimes we're so stubborn or so ignorant that we, we wander from you and we need you to redirect us. That's a scary prayer. <laughs> but I do pray that for me and I pray that for everyone in this room, Lord that you will use your sovereign will and power over your creation and even over my life to redirect me and to redirect us when we're wandering from you and we run from you. Father, teach us to be used by you. Teach us um, that we're loved so much by you that you won't let us go. And that there are so many other people out there that need to hear this message Let us say, here I am, send me today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.